HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This week on Meet and 3, we're spotlighting the people, dishes, and ingredients decolonizing food. We're looking at our Thanksgiving plates and beyond to explore efforts to reclaim food sovereignty in Native American culture, the African diaspora, and Puerto Rico. I believe that oyster dressing is like the consummate side dish for an amazing fried turkey. What we're doing there is just working the land and we're laughing and we're creating a space for joy. And it's in that that healing occurs for us. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Processing, a show about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora, and my mom, Bobby Comforto, um, who is unfortunately, again, not with us for the intro, but as always, here in spirit. Um, hi, guys. How's everyone doing? This is uh, Thanksgiving week, and needless to say, in a very strange year, and I know that everybody is probably adapting in whatever way they need to adapt to make this holiday possible. Um, so we want to bring you a very special holiday episode today, um, Bobby and I, just the two of us, no guests this week, and uh, we're releasing it a couple days early, so you have time to listen to it before Thanksgiving if you'd like, and if not... Please listen after, whenever, during July, if you feel like it, when you're at the beach. Um, but in all seriousness, we realize the um, effect that the holidays have on certain folks. It can be a triggering time of year. It can be a lot of pressure. It can be sad. It can be happy. This year is obviously um, inflammatory for a lot of our grief and trauma, Um it can be isolating. It can be really difficult to make a decision about how and if to see family, be lonely, um, myriad of different emotions, which just kind of exacerbate the typical holiday um, stress and sometimes depression and sometimes elation. And what we come to chat about in this episode is how, you know, a lot of times those emotions can all kind of coexist. It's not always just one thing or another, but wherever you are and however you're feeling this Thanksgiving, we want to send you a big hug and uh, warm thoughts and vibes and support and 
we hope that you enjoy this chat and please reach out to us at any time uh, processing at heritageradionetwork.org you can find us on instagram at processing underscore podcast um we'd love to hear your listener letters if you'd like to be a guest on the show please contact us we'd love to chat with you and uh if you've got a spare moment please rate review and subscribe it really helps more people connect with the show which is obviously the goal um you know community is a big deal so please uh if you do have time for that that'd be great and tell you know two to three thousand of your closest friends about the show if you like it (laughs) um okay everyone happy whatever and yeah okay (laughs) i'm doing a peace sign you can't see it through your phone but trust it's there okay love you guys bye How's it going? Hi, Zara. How are you today? I'm good. So in the kind of Murphy's Law of this new recording phase at from home, which we've been in for some time now, um, somebody working downstairs, it's been perfectly quiet all morning, but has just begun to hammer very loudly. So <laughs> nothing I can do about it, folks. If you hear some hammering, apologies up front. But um, okay, yeah, no, it's, it's a beautiful day here in New York City. Warm and six sunny. days before Thanksgiving. Six days before Thanksgiving, which is what we're going to talk about today. We're gonna. This is a kind of special episode, just Bobby and I, and we're going to be talking about the holidays, the quote unquote holidays, which you know evokes all different kinds of feelings. Right? Sometimes you say the holidays, and it can feel like ooh, a special time of year, and sometimes it's like the holidays. Dun dun. Well, that's how it it very often feels to people who are grieving because the holidays means all the whole period of time. Yeah. And you really only have to take one little piece at a time. If you consider it the holidays, it's so huge, right? Right. Yeah. It feels like an insurmountable problem yeah. and, and chunk of time to get through. And I don't know. It's so, I have so many feelings about it, which we're going to kind of get into now. But I don't know. I kind of like dip back and forth between being like, well, we can choose not to participate in this in a way that feels uncomfortable or triggering for us. But then there's part of it that's unhelpably triggering. And yes, absolutely. It's all around. (laughs) Then there's also feeling, you know, happy and sad about it. At the same time, I came up with an analogy yesterday, just thinking about the holidays and what they represent um, to people who have, you know, not only are struggling and on a grief journey, um, but really to a lot of us, because even just the sentimentality of it can be, you know, sad at times. And so I was thinking about, you know, how largely life for people at one time another or another is suffering and is, com- you know, comprised of really hard things to get through and also wonderful, beautiful moments, right? Um, and it just struck me the image of how uh, often during a terrible thunderstorm, the sky is completely black and gray and it's still raining, but just, you know, a couple feet over, it's a rainbow and it exists at the same time, you know? And I think that's much, much of what life is like, you know, it can be a rainbow. It it can be a (laughs) rainbow and a shitstorm at the exact same time. They overlap often, you know, almost always. It's the bitter and the sweet and you can't separate the two. Right. 
They are inextricably connected. Right. So we were going to start talking about, you made an amazing, just some really incredible points and when we were talking about what we wanted to talk about during the episode today. And you were mentioning, to kind of start us off, why are the holidays important? And what do you think? What's your answer to that question? Why do you think the holidays are important to us societally? Right. Well, I mean, I think culturally different holidays are important. Of course. I know, you know, having not grown up as a Christian, Christmas, let's say, was very weird for me. Yeah. It was so weird because it was so important to everybody else. And we didn't have Christmas. And I was very jealous. Mm, interesting. I always, I was very, very jealous and very envious because I didn't really have, I didn't have the Jewish tradition either. My father was an atheist. So right. that was interesting. So, that, so, you know, some of the holidays like Easter and Christmas, they were hurtful in that way. Yeah. But um, some holidays are very cultural for people, right? And they're part of their religion. They're part of their tradition. They're part of their personal history. Mm. And it's it's a, it's not just that. It's the history in our families of holidays, like what our parents did, even what their parents did. Right. So I think it goes so deep into our lineage. I, I've always thought that's interesting about the ho- the holidays. And again, this could be... Any, we're just saying the holidays because this is the holiday season, quote unquote, that we're entering. But you right, know, the word the has become very it's really, pronounced. It feels here. very <laughs> ominous. But um, yes, you know, families are freaking complicated at best, I think. And that's even for families that get along and love each other. It's still complicated. Mm-hmm. There's still a lot there. Yes. And then a lot of families do not get along. And that's normal. Just for the record, that's normal to not get along with your family. It doesn't make you weird or make your family weird. It's, you know, it's, it's hard enough to get along with a group of people who you choose to be together with because you have common interests and morals and stuff. And then, you know, tack onto that, just being thrown together with a group of people who do not share those things. And yet there's so much pressure. I mean, it's, it's really hard to have a quote unquote functional family. Um, but so I think the holidays, it's like we feel the need at this one time of year that we will all get along and we will be together and this will be the thing that can maybe somehow right the ship. I think there's an unspoken pressure of like, we need to collect ourselves <laughs> together and like, you know, if we do a good job this year, maybe all this other bullshit can somehow feel a little bit better. And for some people in the family, it does right the ship. Yeah. And people long for it to right the ship. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know people that have, you know, lost children. And in some ways, some of them want to have the holiday because it feels like it's going to right the ship somehow. Yeah. I think you that's know, Even the, though it's difficult. Right. And then, but the thing is, when you add no judgment on that one way or another, I think sometimes it can be incredibly uh, heartening and helpful and healing for families to be together whether they've mm-hmm. suffered a loss or not, you know, and some years it's really great and some years it's not great. But um, I think that uh, I think that that desire, you know, I I think a lot, I reflect a lot on my own, what, what my own feelings are that come up at a variety of different things when I have a crush on somebody, when I'm looking forward to a job, like all the things that I build anticipation and expectation about. Right. Right, exactly. And those things are can be wonderful, right? A new relationship can be wonderful. Uh, a great new job can be wonderful. You know, whatever, a new project you're working on can be wonderful. But what is it 
what is the expectation part and the yearning part really all about? And I think we all have these holes in us somewhere, you know, in our spirit Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. expectation and and putting expectation on an event or a person or a thing that's going to happen, a milestone in your life is a way of trying to heal some wound that we have. Do you agree with that? I, I absolutely agree. And actually it's that anticipation and expectation that's one of the biggest difficulties in it, right? Because mm. we have this expectation that it's going to fill this hole and heal this wound. Right. And there's so much pressure. Right. And and so if you're not feeling that way, then the pressure is even greater. And right. if other people have expectations in the family, then the pressure is even greater. Right. So I agree. And I think it's also, I was thinking about what you said before and the the family history of holidays are interesting. You know, whenever we look at our pictures in a picture album or movie, you know, or videos or yeah. movies of, uh, um, I know, um, Rob, my husband, um, has this one, um, piece where he has all the Christmases that they ever had, you know, mm. all lined up together, but it's, it's funny. It's not heartwarming in a way. It's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> I can't explain it. You know, you see all the weird Christmas trees <laughs> and you see, <laughs> you see the family so discon, you know, really kind of disconnected and, but yet it brings a feeling of comfort at the same time. Yeah. So I think that's what you're saying. Even though it's dysfunctional, it also creates a functionality right. well, in, I mean, in somebody's memory. Yeah, like life is in a way inherently structureless, right? Like there is no one that says you need to wake up every morning at 6 and go to bed at 11 and then throughout the day you eat three meals and then in the – you know what I mean? It, it's The structure has been provided. The things that we do, the milestones that we – you know, the trail markers we put up are meant to give life some kind of organization and meaning, I think. And meaning and meaning. And yes. so I think things like holidays are ways that we have and celebration in general and eating. I've always really thought, you know, that and I, I think we talk about this often on the show is that food is an excellent trail marker. You know, I was there. Mm-hmm. I liked this when I was that age. This is nostalgic to me. I can make it again and feel that way. I remember that mom liked to have that thing. I remember that this made me sick. You know what I mean? Like this was a restaurant. So it gives us the foundation, you're saying. Right. If we look back on those times, either in our daily life, our weekly life, or our yearly life, it gives us the foundation of, of, and, and you're right, and the meaning and what really happens with people when they have loss is that they have to create new meaning in all aspects of their life and around holidays as well. And I think that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today is that um, the need to sometimes keep things the same, mm-hmm. sometimes change things, but to find new meaning in a holiday. And sometimes the meaning is, I'm going to ignore it this year. Absolutely. And that is the meaning for this year. And it doesn't mean it's for every year, but it means that's what I need to do this year. Well, and I think that this year is interesting in the way that, um, you know, this year has touched everyone uh, with grief in one way or another, you know, yeah. and, and letting go and some way more than others. Um, but this year in the holiday season, I think is an opportunity for people to kind of conjure up more empathy for folks that maybe have gone decades or months or whatever so. <laughs> with, with yeah. having to adjust big time emotionally to different losses and letting go, you know? And uh, I think, I think that if we're going to try to take away some positive things about all of the struggle, 
that's faced this world this year would be to, you know, where, where are the lessons? Where are the things that can like make us better and more sensitive? And I think that empathy is a big one. And I think it's something we can definitely look at during the holidays. And yes, it's very disappointing not to be able to maybe see your family. And it's a good way to like understand that there's a lot of people who never will see their family again, you know, and that the holidays are always disappointing to them. And then maybe it can societally, (laughs) the hope would be shifting us away from a certain you know, image of what supposed to's are, you know? And thinking that everybody has that and everybody does it. Right. Right. Yeah. And understanding that you can, I don't know if you, it's like finding, it's like being on one of those shows like Chopped or something where they just give you a bunch of random ingredients and you have to figure out how to make something delicious with it. You know, I think people who Mm -hmm. are grieving or have lost people like live like that forever. You know, it's like a bag of random ingredients and you have to figure out how to make a life with it now with this new thing. It's not what you plan to make, but you have to figure out how to try to make it palatable and maybe at best delicious. And now we're all in that boat. And I I hope personally that that creates a larger theme of empathy in our society because we desperately need that right now. Absolutely. Amen. Yeah. And I think what happens is that... Part of the grieving process, one of the um, tasks of grief is that finding new meaning. And so it's not that the disarray that you're talking about is forever because we do find new meaning. Mm. We find new structure. We find new traditions. And I think part of what a new grieving family does each holiday is that they are looking at what are the new traditions that we can do now that help cre- create the foundation for our, our future. Totally. So what, I mean, obviously food is such a big part of holiday celebrations for a lot of people. And then on the flip side, it can be a really difficult part of holiday celebrations for other people who are food insecure, living in poverty. So it's Mm -hmm. impactful in one way or another. And even people who are food insecure or living below the poverty line, uh, you know, still have rich, wonderful food traditions, you know, traditions. rich in spirit. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it is a time to not forget that there are so many people where food is a huge part of the holiday in an in a opposite way and not in a fun, exciting mm-hmm. way, in a way that mm-hmm. it continues to make people feel, you know, less than and, and left out. Um, so that's just a side Exactly. And what, and what, market it, what marketing does for people, you know, in our life is so detrimental in so many ways because it makes it appear that everybody has everything and that we all have the money to buy huge present loads of presents and have big feasts and everything. And um, that's very stressful for people who are grieving um, Mm -hmm. this time of year. They begin to, the minute the advertising starts for holidays, Mm -hmm. it really starts pulling at them and, um, you know, putting salt in the wound over and over and over again. You know, so many people say they'll walk into a mall to get something in the old days when we walked into a mall to get something, but they'll walk into a store to get something and then the Christmas music is starting already and it's triggering. It's, it's their favorite song that they used to sing with their child or it's their favorite song that their mother used to sing to them. And there it is in the middle of the store who asked for that. Well, so as a, as a therapist and a, a bereavement specialist, what is your, what is your recommendation for folks when they do get triggered by things like that? When you have clients who come to you and say, I would feel very triggered by the holiday music or by this, or like, what do you recommend to them as a kind of, I don't know, 
What's well, we talk about a lot of different things. You know, one is that um, I'm a great believer in the turtle. I've mentioned the turtle medicine or turtle energy on the show before. Mm-hmm. And that's your ability to put your turtle shell up when you need to and stick your head out when you can. Yeah. You know, so it means, you know, maybe you don't go to the store at all and maybe you, you order online or maybe you find a way to just insulate yourself, you know, so that you don't have to get triggered because somebody's advertising Christmas, right? You know, <laughs> you know, it's just so unfair. Right, and being triggered um, is really a physiological response because we talk about. I think people absolutely. throw around the word triggered a lot, and you know, that's it's a good thing to be more aware of actual, you know, psychological things that are happening to people. But like being triggered by something is a physiological response to stress. You are and, absolutely and grief, correct. Right? There are stress hormones. There are stress hormones that are surging through your body and it's a physical experience that you have. And it has a long lasting physical ex- experience. Right. And so I, those stress hormones don't leave that quickly. Interesting. And I want to bring that up just because I think that there's there can be shame in feeling triggered by certain things. And especially like, well, why am I not over this by now? You know, I thought I went to therapy for five years. So exactly. the Christmas music didn't bother me. But it's like be gentle on yourself and be gentle with that shame spiral because you don't need to put the shame spiral on top of it. Like, you know, you can't help when you sneeze, right? You're not going to be like, well, I went to no (laughs) sneeze. I concentrated on sneezing. If some piece of dust flies up your nose, you're going to sneeze. You're saying it's an automatic habitual response to honor inside of yourself. Realize it can happen at any time. It can happen 10, 20, 30 years later. Totally. Um, it's it's a surprise when it happens, but to make room for it and space for it and honor it. And um, so because I often recommend to people, you know, in coping with the holidays, that it's really important to try to have self-awareness and try not to get um, overwhelmed by the expectations and demands that you think other people want from you or they're asking from you and to really have personal time to notice what you're feeling, give yourself space, make sure that you're practicing stress reduction and you're, um, you know, resting enough and all those things. And also saying no sometimes, being able to say no. Often what I tell people with holidays is that if they have an invitation to say, look, I'm going to try. I may not be able to come. I may not make it. If I don't, I don't want any judgment on your part. I'm doing the best I can. And, um, you know, to leave that open for themselves. Yeah, Um, I think that's very powerful. I had a minute last night. I don't remember what I was looking at. I think I was just looking at, like, random news or something. And it was, like, all about – it was something all about Thanksgiving. And I started to feel triggered, actually, because I was realizing that, like, you know, we talked about this this week. But this year has been, for a lot of people, a lost year of time with special people. And if you – were to tell someone ahead of time, I mean, like for a whole year, you're going to really lose the physical component of relationships with your family. You're not going to be able, I'm, I'm like almost crying now. Like you're not going to be able to like cook in the Me kitchen, too. like, you know, missing a year of that is a big deal. And I started thinking about how now we're both crying, <laughs> um, <laughs> not cooking with you this year. And it's, it's it's not just about the cooking. It's like a special, it's like a whole, it's like if someone, whatever, you never want to think that a, a whole big chunk of something you think is important is just gone. And it started without any control. Yes. It made me really sad. And I had this urge to go, I'm like, I need a cigarette because, you know, through my life, unfortunately, I don't smoke anymore, but like, 
my, when something really stressful happens to me, I immediately think I need a cigarette. You know, like when my dad died, I'm like, I was smoking. Like, it's not something I'm proud of, but it's like my stress response. And even in this, I last night I was like, I feel like I need to smoke a cigarette to deal with this bad feeling. And it was just so, and I didn't, but so the point of telling the story is just that I sat for a minute and I was like, oh, I feel really triggered. I'm feeling upset. It's making me miss exactly. my dad. You sat with the feeling. It's, it's making me miss you know, my the mom. The cigarette would have pushed it down a little well, bit. Well, I was like, I could go have a cigarette. I was like, I can go to the store and take money and go buy cigarettes and have one if I want. And that's not going to, it's not the end of the world. It's not a smart decision, but it's not the end of the world. I was like, but let me just sit here and just unwind from this emotional reaction. Make space I'm for the feeling. Absolutely. You know, and I sat and I was like, I don't want a cigarette. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm actually okay. I feel sad about this, but sad is just a feeling that's going to exactly. wash in and out of my brain. You know, it that's just That's the does. psychological principle that we're scared of our feelings, but when we leave room for them and space for them, we realize that we, it moves into another feeling. It just, you know, mm-hmm. instead of resisting it, I always love that equation, pain plus resistance equals suffering. So the more we resist the feeling, the more we really actually suffer. And a lot of times our coping mechanisms, whether it's having a drink or even a cigarette or eating, even stuffing down food, it stuffs down the feeling, you know, that principle. Totally. And and it was just interesting because I often do stuff down the feeling with, I mean, I guess a lot of time with cigarettes. Although I try not to for, you know, but with big feelings it can be hard, but it's interesting. And I've been, it's something I've practiced for a couple of years now, but just trying to sit for a couple minutes and just see, assess after that, like after the little emotional storm is over, how do I feel? Am I okay? Do I really need the thing to stuff the feeling down or can I, or can right. I possibly bear? Sometimes you can't bear it. Sometimes I you know, can't bear exactly. it. But or the whole aspect of our living is to expand our capacity to bear. Mm. <laughs> you know, we keep trying to, you know, to do that, whether it be through um, knowing ourselves, self-awareness, meditation, all the things we can do that expands our capacity to bear things because life is filled with feelings. Totally. We have many ups and downs. So the season brings that up for sure. And um, I think it's important for all of us to think about um, whether you're grieving or not, to think about that the holidays are going to bring up all kinds of feelings, particularly this year. Mm. So I know in our family, we're not going to see each other. Yeah. Some families are, I don't know how exactly they're doing it, but they're figuring out a way. Yeah. And um, when we were talking about cooking before, what that means to me, it's not just the preparation of the meal. And we've made beautiful, beautiful meals every single year. We've celebrated Thanksgiving together. And every year as you've gotten older and became a chef, the, the, the celebration was supreme. And we found that we connected in that place of celebration. We're very much alike that way. Mm. We so also no matter would, what was going on. We also would argue over like things like, <laughs> I'm like, why am I fighting with perfect. this person about who I love so much about how to cut a carrot? What's the difference? <laughs> but it always came out, you know, we always worked it through. And it was, it was part of how we, our relationship was to cook and make holiday meals together. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially Thanksgiving. Totally. So, I miss that terribly, and um, I will be um, think conjuring you up through my cooking because I'm going to cook just for me and Rob. Yes. But I'm going to be feeling you every step of the way. So it's the memory. It's how cooking becomes part of our memory bank. It does, and it can, you know, there was plenty of Thanksgivings where, you know, we weren't really getting along well, and there was, you know, really hard times in our relationship, especially when I was in my teens. 
And yeah, Thanksgiving always was a kind of ceasefire for us. And last night we were, Bobby and I were joking. (laughs) Bobby is also an amazing cook and used to be, own a catering business and specialty food business. And then, you know, with my dad and that's how I learned to cook from them. They're both amazing chefs. But um, for some reason, we would put a shit ton of eggs in our stuffing (laughs) every year. And stuffing (laughs) doesn't really need eggs. It doesn't need eggs at all, in fact. And but we would put so many in, and it was still good, right? But it was like in retrospect so hard. And so we were laughing about that last night, and it's just like a fun memory to have and be like, remember when we used to put all the eggs in the stuffing, and it was like bricks, it was like spackle, but delicious. But a funny, I don't know. Well, that's that's one of a, a kind of funny memory. But one of the my memories of Thanksgiving is when I was a little girl. My mom had this stool for me, and it's how she taught me how to cook. Mm. And it was this little teeny step stool, and she'd sit it by the sink. And when she washed the turkey, I would stand in front of her on the stool, and she'd be behind me, and we would dance with the turkey. That's so So I still, to this day, you know, you and I danced with the turkey many times. Dancing with the turkey. Okay, so when I think of that memory, and I know all of you out there listening are going to have those memories, no matter what your situation, no matter what your culture is, there will be those memories because this is a standard holiday that most of us celebrate you know no matter what our traditions and um it goes so deep into who you are and it's almost a part of your tapestry so i feel like me standing on the stool with my mother and you standing on the stool with me is part of our tapestry yeah it is it really is and it's uh it's interesting it's it really is i mean the name of your business is bittersweet counseling and i can't think of anything that kind of defines the feeling around the holidays more than like bittersweet it really is such a combination of even those the memories are sometimes so painful even if the person's still alive like you know what mm-hmm. I mean it's just like wow that was so long ago I'll never be that age again we'll never do that again exactly. you know exactly that actually makes me very emotional it's hard it's really hard well part of what we're talking about really Zara is about rituals and rituals are very much a part of our life. You know, we have formal rituals um, that are part of our religions. We have personal rituals that we create in our everyday. And the holidays are made up of rituals. Right. And I've always thought that they're really the, the things that hold together our life, really. They, they're, they're like bridges between things. Yeah. And um, they're, they're walkways. I see them as um, bridges and fence, you know, walkways. Yeah. So through life. Yeah, absolutely. Rituals are important. Um, yeah. We started talking and we got off the topic before, but um, about what the role of food in the holidays. And, um, you know, in your experience, you're mentioning things like the turkey and like the stuffing and stuff like that. But why do you think, uh, I mean, this is a big question, but I guess why do you think that food is such a big and important part of the holidays? And I know we could draw it back and I just want to also say that Thanksgiving, right off the bat, I I should mention that I think Thanksgiving for us has been a a lovely holiday, and I know it is for many people, but um, it's also, you know, a holiday that's problematic. Um, because right, of when our you tr- mark the history, true uh, yeah, history, history of it. we're talking it's, about our personal family history. that but- we've, you know, <laughs> adapted now, it's just, I think, worth mentioning that um, we do very much realize the problematic history of not only Thanksgiving, but the treatment and 
massacring of Native American people. It's just terrible. And it makes celebrating Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. confusing if that's how you feel. But I guess just we're kind of trying to talk about, you know, knowing that how, you know, we've just been able to celebrate a togetherness kind of togetherness giving. So, but anyway, it's, you know, in, I know in our family, um, I've always insisted upon the thank, thankful rituals. And I remember certain people that we've invited have looked at us like, I don't want to have to think about what I'm grateful for, (laughs) you know, but for, you know, for us, that's been so important. I know for many families, it is, it really is. It is a time to, the name, Thanksgiving, giving thanks. So, Um, but we were talking about food. So why do we, why do we think that food is such a big part of holidays? What are your, what are your theories on that? Well, I think that food is magic. I think food is love. I think food is connection. I think food is family history. I think food is beautiful. Food is, um, it's seasonal. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the foods that we have around the holidays are different holidays or seasonal. Right. What, what do you think? Uh, I think a lot of things. I mean, I think breaking bread has for thousands of years been a kind of a truce, a ceasefire time. Um, a, an opportunity to be like, you know, in its kind of original form, I'm, I'm enjoying this thing or having this thing that's sustenance, that's basic life sustenance. Would you like to share it with me? Is kind of an incredibly profound gesture of caring and mm-hmm. love. Uh, mm-hmm. I think in more modern times that, um, you know, when we talk about food with identity to either personal identity, cultural identity, whatever, what what have you. Um, I think people want to, I think the reason that people have a desire to cook for each other when, when it's pleasurable, you know, is I'm making something that will give you pleasure and you're going to enjoy it. And that makes me feel good because it makes me feel valuable that I can create something good and it'll make you feel good. And it's kind of a beautiful exchange in that way. Right. And holidays, one person generally doesn't make the whole meal. Everybody does that for each other in a way. Um, yeah. So I think that, I think that's a big part. And then I think of course, like, you know, tradition and, and the nostalgia of, well, mom always made this, or, you know, we always memorialize this. And it's just, again, you know, the identity of different families and also, you know, your personal taste and things you look forward to it, you know, Thanksgiving food, traditional Thanksgiving food of, stuffing mashed potatoes turkey whatever and i'm using the the word traditional very loosely because that's obviously traditional to certain types of people you know typically white people obviously all different cultures and races and religions have different things that are traditional to them but even so i'm making an assumption here that the things we eat around the holidays are more rich and more extravagant and different than mm-hmm. what people typically have in their everyday lives. Mm-hmm. And right. I use the term traditional in terms of what we have in our everyday lives. So in our family, right. we didn't have a roast, big roast turkey and mashed potatoes and stuffing and gravy and stuff like that. Um, so that makes ever. it special. So that, so, right. yeah. so that makes it special. Yeah, it makes it special. It's, you know, um, I think it's also just something to look for. To look forward to, even if you think it's going to be shitty, you still kind of look forward. I don't know. It's like this weird. It creates security. I was thinking about that. It actually creates a sense of security. Okay, we're Thanksgiving. We've had Thanksgiving now where it's another year. It's structure. 
again, yeah, going structure. back to the, exactly. yeah. the yeah. way of like making structure within yeah. a life. But then I really don't want to neglect the fact and talk about this, that there's a lot of people that it does not create security for, especially right. those who are maybe houseless or living below mm-hmm. the poverty line or food insecure or mm-hmm. suffering with depression or illness. You know, it is really like. Thank goodness for food banks and for people that you know, do things this time of year. I know I have this lovely friend, Bhavani Jarnoff, who every year, you know, cooked for literally, every year for the last 20 years has cooked for, you know, 500 people yeah, she's in her house. She's incredible. And she's, she's gathered, you know, workers for weeks ahead preparing the food, and then she has it all set up in, um, in you know, poorer areas, and she serves, you know, over 500 people for each holiday. That's incredible. So thank goodness for that. But it's interesting because in those boxes, I was looking at lines of food banks yesterday, you know, on, on TV, and every box had the same things. They had a box of stuffing, they had a turkey, they had potatoes, they had a can of gravy, you know, they all had the same. Yeah. Because that is the tradition, I guess, of American Thanksgiving. Right. You know, it's always hard to to um, remember that Thanksgiving is American. It's not really all over the world. We, right. It's so familiar to us but it's not an international holiday yeah um i was thinking also about the memorializing aspect of it and uh how many people this week told me about i asked them all what they're going to do for thanksgiving what they're going to make you know all my clients i talked to 56 people this week i asked 56 people the same question and a lot of people said they have these little recipe cards from their mother grandmother you know aunts uncles and they take them out and that's what they use they use the same recipe yeah. That's been cooked in the in the family for all these years. Yeah, that's really sweet. What's your mm. what are some of your favorite kind of Thanksgiving foods? What do you what do you typically love at Thanksgiving time? Well, I once thought one way, but in the last 2 years I had a whole other way of looking at it because for the last 2 or 3 years you have made themed Thanksgivings. Yes. And I realized that we can break the mold and we don't have to have the same way that we prepare it. Now, the same way we prepare it is wonderful because each year it gets better. Yeah. You know, each year my chestnut stuffing got better and better and better. Yeah. I stopped using eggs. You know, it got better, better, stopped better. Stopped using four dozen eggs for one loaf of bread. <laughs> but what you did the last few years, I would love for you to share it with our listeners because it was just fantastic. Well, we did a couple different themes. So um, last year we did kind of um, Middle Eastern style. Um, and it was delicious. And so we just, you know, made a big giant chopped kind of village salad. Um, it was really, really delicious. Like lots of fresh vegetables and cucumbers and feta. We did hummus. We had, um, falafel. We did the turkey, uh, the dark meat and kebabs. And I think we made kofta out of the white meat. I yes. can't remember what happened. No, we made kofta out of the dark meat. Oh, okay. And then the, and then you definitely made a, a, a roulade rolled up. Right. A roulade. Yeah. Um, Filled with uh, apricots and yes, nuts and things like that. That was great. And then we had, um, what else did we do? Jewel, jeweled rice. The jeweled rice was really fabulous. It was great. It was like really yummy and fun and just like a fun way to kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, and 25 people. <laughs> oh, yeah, 25 people. Yeah, that was Which is fun. And the year before was my favorite. Italian-American. The Italian. Mm-hmm. Turkey meatballs and we, well, we always kind of do that where we 
do a different thing with the dark meat and the brown. I've, I've been breaking the turkey down for like a decade now. Or you're yeah. like, you know, we usually braise the legs or, or grind the legs into a meat to make like a meatball or something. And then the breast always like a porchetta style turkey breast. Um, right. I find it just like is more interesting and also cooks better than like a whole roast turkey. But um, I remember you took the, you braised once in like an asabuco kind yeah, of style. That oh, was that was year. It was turkey leg asabuco. It was uh, so good. Uh, um, yeah, and we had like garlic bread stuffing and Alfredo mashed potatoes. We did a Negroni style mm. cranberry sauce. I mean, really like fun stuff that <laughs> that speaks to us and our heritage. And uh, yeah, so it was fun. It was great. But um, I love like I I always love stuffing again because it's something I'm only eat once a year i mean it really but that's what stuffing yes love stuffing love it yeah stuffing with gravy and a little cranberry gets on there that's my favorite combination and everybody makes that stuffing different Mm -hmm. i had somebody tell me yesterday about how dressing they just love or dressing called dressing Mm -hmm. how they just love the pepperidge farm and i i I remember because i always used to use that years ago and i i could feel her excitement about she said i went to get it they were having an early thanksgiving Right. But some families do that, you know, that they um, can all be together for different yeah. reasons. So they have it two weeks before or whatever totally. it is. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So she said she went into the supermarket to find the stuffing and it was nowhere to be found. And they said, but next week we'll have it up in a big stand. There'll be hundreds of boxes. <laughs> and they had none in the store before. But That's funny. Anyway, so stuffing is wonderful. Stuffing's wonderful. Um, this year we're making, I'm going to get together with about four, 40 or 50 of my closest friends. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in a very small room. Um, no, I I am going to see a couple, a handful of friends that are in my pod. But um, we're making um, partridge, uh, not partridge, pheasant. We're doing chicken, like fried pheasant, like fried chicken. But instead we're doing pheasant. Wow. Yeah, I'm excited. That's, do you have to catch them first? Yes, that's part of it. We have to catch them and murder them ourselves. And then we'll have a delicious <laughs> pheasant dinner. <laughs> Huh. That should be exciting. But I'm going to, you know, obviously miss being with you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for people who are in pain, and we kind of touched on this earlier in the episode, but you mentioned the concept of just like leaning into pain. Um, can you kind of expand on what you what you mean by that? Yes, it, it kind of just means that mindful approach of noticing as a feeling arises and noticing your tendency to want to push it down and make it go away. And then just giving space to it. And then when you do that, you notice it shifts and changes in a different way. Right. You know, again, what we resist is different. You know, when we resist a feeling, it's different. Right. So I think, you know, there's also a likelihood. For people who are grieving, there's a likelihood of pain. You know, it, it's just you have to accept that that's going to happen and that there's nothing wrong with that. It's perfectly understandable and natural. And even plan ahead a little bit. No, well, I could always go excuse myself or if I'm going to somebody's house, I could go in the other room or um, like I said before, I can leave early or I can come late. So I think it's there will be a likelihood of pain. It's just natural. It's understandable because a lot of it has to do with the empty chairs. You know, you, you think of years before and, you know, whose chair is empty this year? And also who is new this year. You know, sometimes right. when um, we look at old photos, you know, my husband and I, Rob and I grew up in the 50s. And so pictures looked a lot different there, family pictures. Mm. And you look at the table and you go, oh, my goodness, three quarters of those people aren't here anymore. Yeah. And that's a really, that's a lot of empty chairs. But yeah. 
So the, the other thing is that how do you deal with the empty chair is actually a very important point. And so for some families, they actually leave an empty chair mm. and it feels good for them. It really does. They want to have that empty chair. They might even put a candle at that place in yeah. the chair. Um, other families want to ignore the empty chair. You know, who sits at the head of the table if dad's not there? If dad used to carve the turkey, you know, mm. who's going to sit at the head of the table now? Yeah. So do you leave it empty? Does somebody else take that place? You know, that's always the, the chair is actually a very interesting um, concept of grief. You know, what to do with the empty chair. Yeah. Sometimes people will set up, and I know we would do this in our family, certainly. You know, we would bring the person who's not with us anymore to the table in some shape or form. Yes. You know, we've always had grandma silverware and, and we mention it, you and know, as we're eating it and, with it. You know, on the table. And pictures and flowers right near the pictures and candles. And, you know, we, we welcome, um, and because we want to. It doesn't mean that everybody has to. And for some people, it's too painful to do that and they can't get through it. If the picture of, you know, their husband was there, they couldn't get through the meal. Yeah. They need to just block it off, put it, go in their turtle shell, and just proceed. I think what we're really honing in on here is that there actually is no right answer for how to handle there grief. There's no right answer. There's no yep. one size fits all for that at all, um, except for yep. the one size fits all would be to, I think, go with your gut, you know, as long as, you know, that comes with an asterisk, just of if, if your gut is telling you to do something that's harmful to yourself or others, then don't go with that mm -hmm. gut. But aside from that, yes. you know, I think just go with your gut in terms of, of how to feel. And I think that, you know, anyone who's experienced grief or even just, you know, preemptive grief or whatever, what have you, it can come at you at any second of the day, at any day of the year. It's not necessarily, mm -hmm. but this is like, <laughs> this is a definite, this is a definite, um, a definite harbinger of, yes. you know what I mean? Intense feelings. So, uh, that doesn't mean that every year intense bad feelings are going to happen. And sometimes exactly. it can be way less, sometimes it can be way less intense than you had anticipated. Exactly. But, the expectations is a very good point. But like the possibility for being triggered and feeling really down and, and hurt or just, you know, longing or missing it's the chances mm -hmm. are, are high for that mm -hmm. to uh, kind of come into the picture at some point. So, you know, I mean, eat. and it could be triggered by anything. It could be triggered by the cranberry sauce or the pumpkin pie or so many different things. Um, so, you know, one of the things that I talk about also is um, the concept of, you know, expecting that there's going to be pain and understanding that, but having compassion and having compassion for yourself. Mm -hmm. If it comes up, having compassion for your relatives, let's say a parent died and you have siblings, you have three siblings and, you know, one sibling is preparing the meal and it's exuberant and making the great feast and it's excited mm -hmm. and, and you're not, you don't feel that way. You right. feel different. And what if one of your siblings is angry mm -hmm. and is drinking too much? You know, so part of it is really trying to have compassion for yourself and for other people as well. Right. You know, and, and let go but the, of expectation, the expectation, yeah, the expectation thing is very important because one of the concepts is that we never know what the resources are going to be when the actual event happens. So if we're anticipating Thanksgiving, how am I going to get through it? What am I going to do? You don't think in terms of the inner resources that may come up that day for you to help you 
or the outer resources. Like maybe there'll be your your little niece will smile at you in a way that just fills your heart, and all of a sudden you get this energy to do the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, so we Absolutely. never know what's going to pop up. Absolutely. I yeah. one time had a boyfriend who said to me. <laughs> And I hated it at the time. And I think it's because I'm not sure that he was saying it to me in the most loving way. But it actually, I do think of it often. And I'm not sure if it's really a metaphor that makes a lot of sense fully if you were to work it through. But it makes sense in my head. He said, expectation is the root of a bitter tree. And um, I think he was saying it to get off the hook for being a decent person. But I do think about it a lot. I'm not sure that bitter is the right word, but I do think that expectation is a kind of a bit of a um, insidious root. What well, sets you and up an for disappointment? Root, right? Yeah. Because yeah, it can set you up for disappointment. But also, like the reality is, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen um, ever, and generally, nothing ever happens the way you anticipate that it will like bad or good it's just unless you're a psychic which is possible but you know I well, think our mind is very powerful the mind can be a healer and the mind can be a slayer right. and we can think of the worst possible expectations of how it's going to be and we can think of idyllic things that are not going to happen you know too much pressure right the reality is like some of it will probably be good some will probably be bad on a great year exactly. maybe it'll be really memorable and fun mm-hmm. on a really bad year somebody might end up in the you know emergency room <laughs> Yeah. Or, like, hurting each other's feelings. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to actually... I think one of the things... Go. I was going to say, one of the things to remember for this year is that it's a transitional time. It doesn't mean that um, it, when we have a loss, this holiday is this way. It doesn't mean it's always going to be this way. It it shifts and changes, and we have to just know this is now. So that's the whole topic of perspective. Totally. You know, like you brought that up before. You know, having perspective, it's it's a holiday. That's how I'm trying to look at it this year. I'm really saying I'm going to miss you like crazy. Yeah. And it's a re- it is a loss. I agree with you. It's yeah. a great loss. It but is. we have lots of losses, and in the big picture of things, you know, I, this is a loss that I can certainly manage and deal with. Totally. And, I mean, I think that, you know, one thing that we've been seeing this year is that some folks in this country and, and across the world but seem to have a more difficult time than others with – with maybe allowing their their grip on control, you know, their control slip away a little bit, right? It's like, well, you're not mm-hmm. going to tell me what to do and I want to still do this. And like, right. there's a lesson, there's an opportunity for a lesson here, folks, that, you know, my dad always used to say, he would teach me lessons through music often. I talked about this when I gave his eulogy. Um, but he would teach me lessons by playing me music a lot of the time. So I remember being like seven years old, eight years old, and he put on a song of a real, and he's like, this is a really great band. This is really important. This band is one of the most important bands of all time. And, you know, sometimes <laughs> in your life, kid, like something's not going to go the way you want it to, or someone's going to do something that feels unfair, uh, or you're not going to get your way, or you're going to think something was supposed to happen. Maybe you'll have like a birthday party. And it wasn't as much fun as you want it to be. He's like, but there's, you know, essentially there's always another way that you didn't think it it was going to turn out. And it's, and basically you're going to probably be okay no matter what. And, um, then he played, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes you just might find that you get what you need. So thank you to the Rolling Stones for that incredible piece of advice. 
Um, I wish you could play it right now. Yeah, it's a great. Can't it's a great always song. get what you want. <laughs> great, great. I love that. Yeah. I love it. Um, so you know, just in terms of, I know this is a lot of adjustment for people, but um, you're say by being responsible and by adjusting what you exactly what you may want to do, you're helping other people not to have to suffer extreme emotional pain and trauma by losing their loved ones to a deadly we can, virus. We can sacrifice. Yeah, we can sacrifice a little yeah. bit. I would like to bring up one thing in closing, um, which is the, just the concept of gratefulness and thankfulness. Mm. And I would like to say in front of all of you listeners, however many you are, <laughs> that I am eternally grateful for this opportunity to work with you, Zara, in this way. Mm. Bobby, Bobby, you're crying. <laughs> this is an emotional it, app. It is so, it is so exciting. And it's such an exciting part of our relationship. That doesn't mean that it's always easy, but it is such a gift. And I am so, so grateful for you as my beautiful woman daughter, not little girl anymore. And, uh, and that we could share this together Yeah, and everything that you are, the incredible creativity and, uh, intelligence and penis um, monster pizzazz <laughs> pain in the sassiness. fucking ass <laughs> um, thanks mom I agree I feel really grateful yeah. for that too and for everyone who's listening and for HRN for giving us the opportunity to do this this year it's been about a year of doing the show yes yeah and uh, I completely I couldn't agree more it's it's a real it's a real learning experience and a real gift um, I also feel really grateful. And I mentioned this, um, one of our former guests, Lisa Cole Broland, um, has a wonderful, if you guys don't already know it, she has a wonderful blog called Unpeeled Journal and she explores food and grief a lot on it. And she asked me to tell her what I was thankful for this year. And I think she asked a bunch of people who's been, who have been featured on the blog. Um, and one of the things that I really feel grateful for this year as I'm a single woman, um, I spent a lot of the beginning of this quarantine completely alone. And, you know, as we adapted a bit to be able to feel comfortable in safe social situations, I've adapted. So I feel less maybe alone. But still, my my life has changed very much. And, you know, I'm 36. I'm almost 37. And I'm at a point in my life where I'm like, wow, I if I want to have kids, you know, and I don't normally put this type of pressure on myself, nor am I completely sure that I want to have kids. But you start thinking about these things. Well, if I want to have kids, like, well, I better Mm -hmm. fucking meet somebody immediately (laughs) because I'm, the clock is ticking. Um, But, and so some of those things manifest as fear and anxiety, you know, and I am an only child. I've always been very comfortable at being alone and very good at being alone. I've lived alone since I was in my early 20s, you know. So being alone is not something unfamiliar to me. But I think embracing the fear of loneliness and facing it and looking at it and looking at aloneness as a specific kind of gift rather than and the ability to be comfortable alone as a gift rather than some type of curse or, you know, you know, because there's stigma attached to it, like a Kathy cartoon or something. But I'm thankful for this year showing me that um, any of our worst fears or anxieties can be can be reimagined, you know, and to That's a fantastic. life that you didn't necessarily think, but you but it could be what you need going back to, you know, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes you might find you get what you need, which 
in this case for me has been realizing that aloneness is not something to be afraid of and that it's just another side of a of a multi-sided coin of different ways that people live their lives so I feel grateful for that and beautiful I I was thinking one of the things I feel grateful for is that I think that my work with you on this podcast and my work with my clients has been the thing that truly got me through yeah a scary time and I have never more appreciated the willingness of people to be vulnerable and mm. to share their innermost fears and longings and hurts and losses yeah. um, with each other. Yeah. And I, it is it has just filled me up all all year, all through this pandemic. It's just filled me up with a spirit which could have been drained otherwise. Totally. By what was happening. That's beautiful. I want. I guess I also just want to add on that I feel grateful for, you know, my business life, my career has been extremely, <laughs> has been affected in a very serious way. I'm, you know, in the, in the food industry and that's been an industry that's gotten hit very hard, but, um, I feel grateful and fortunate to still be, you know, living in a comfortable apartment, still have my family, still have these, you know, things that we consider basic, but are really actually luxuries and to realize that they're a luxury to live in an apartment is a luxury, you know, no matter what it is. Um, and to have family who are healthy is a luxury. And there's a lot of people out there who do not have, who are not lucky in this way, um, always. And now more so than other, uh, than ever. So just a reminder, um, there are plenty of ways to get involved in helping folks who and there's lots and lots and lots and lots and millions of people right now who need help more than ever and will need help after this so finding a way to advocate for those folks if you can't do it financially that's understandable a lot of people are pressed for for money right now but there are other ways you can volunteer your time your voice uh you can get involved politically in that way if you're not a politically inclined person that's that's also fine there's volunteer opportunities there's so much but like just even the first step of like really truly realizing that you know whatever and being appreciative of whatever privilege and luxuries uh that you have in your life still and figuring out how to um help the millions the tens of millions the 60% of people who live in this country that live below the poverty line you know that's a that's a really big number um so i hope that we can all have a philanthropic and generous spirit in whatever way that we can during this time and beyond. Amen. Yeah. Bobby, this was great. Sarah. What thing? It was our Thanksgiving. It this was, was our, our Thanksgiving. Yeah, I know. So what are you going to make for this Thanksgiving? The one thing that you're most looking forward to making? I'm looking forward to seeing the big bird in the oven because mm. you usually break it down. Wait a minute. You're killing big a big bird? Everybody, close your children are listening. Cover their ears. This woman is murdering America's sweetheart, Big Bird. So I'm looking forward to dancing with the turkey and then baking yep. it, <laughs> and then baking it and biting into its flesh. Amazing. Hey, hey, yeah. Um, I am making a recreation of one of our shared favorite, mutually shared favorite desserts that is unfortunately no longer, to my knowledge, available at Marlowe and Sons, but had been for forever. Um. Which was there, and this is, I've, I mean, this has been made at other restaurants too, but we always loved getting it at Marlowe. And it's the dark chocolate caramel sea salt tart. 
So I'm making that. Come on, Zara, come east instead of north. <laughs> come and bring me that tart. <laughs> um, I'm adapting um, it a little bit. I'm making kind of like a chocolate tahini crust for it because I like the mm. nuttiness of tahini. Um, America's new favorite ingredient. And um, then I'm also making a key lime, classic key lime tart. But I'm doing a little tangora twist by doing a little cardamom in it because I just freaking love cardamom. It's so good. I put it in my coffee. Sounds great. Sounds delicious. You can put it anywhere. Um, yeah, I'm really happy excited. Thanksgiving, Zara. Yeah, mm, happy Thanksgiving, so grateful Bobby. For you. I'm very grateful to you for you too. And again, grateful to Heritage Radio for giving us the opportunity to make this show. And we're really grateful for you guys too, the listeners. This is an incredible. Thank you for supporting us. Um, and if you want to reach out or anything, um, you know, please send us an email processing at heritageradionetwork.org and let us know how your Thanksgiving went. Okay. Thanks guys. Bye. Bye. All of us at HRN have been keeping busy despite working and recording from home. This fall, we're proud to announce new shows on the network that each bring important and enlightening stories to listeners around the world. While the world is in turmoil and the future of our country is uncertain, there are certain constants that help keep us going. For us, food and storytelling are essential. While we can't come together in person, food podcasts from HRN provide a virtual table we can all gather around. Bringing exceptional stories to your ears and keeping you informed on the ever-changing political and environmental issues of our time is integral to our mission. At a time when the world around us is rapidly changing, HRN is committed to being here for our listening community, and we need you to be here for us. Join our table and help ensure the future of food radio by becoming a member of HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to make a contribution. Check out the latest additions to our lineup while you're there. You can see all of our series at heritageradionetwork.org slash new show. Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. 
Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.